Disclosure. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, any and all information presented in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making any decision. Hi everyone, Ben Keedy here with the Wealth Crypto Podcast again, and we are back after the holiday break. I took a couple of months off to kind of reset, but I am super excited for 2023 and to continue bringing some more content to you guys. So first episode of 2023 is with Boomer Saraga. He is the CEO and founder of Kelp Financial, and they are a crypto asset manager. I had on Paul Lang uh, from Kelp last year. So uh, really excited to hear a little bit more from Kelp and from Boomer. So let's just get into it. Thanks. Okay. All right, here we go. Three, two, one, and we're live. Boomer, what's up? How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah, good, man. Thanks. I uh, uh, obviously had a good conversation with Paul, um, and I'm just excited to have you on to talk a little bit about more a little bit more about kelp and and how you guys interact with wealth management um specifically but maybe broadly too just you know how you interact with cryptos the entire market as well um so maybe let's just start there like just give us the brief intro of you and kelp and how you got here and then we can go from there yeah absolutely um so my name is Boomer Saraga. I'm the founder and CEO of Kelp Financial. We are a digital asset focus manager and investment advisor. We offer digital asset advisory, actively managed model crypto portfolios, in addition to customizable strategies for various investor types. And then we also manage a private DeFi yield fund, but that has yet to take in outside capital. Um, so I guess just a little bit how I got started. Um, I've been in crypto for six years. Um, I actually had a VC family office internship back in college where one of my colleagues and another intern at the time, actually, um, he kind of came into the office one day, super enthusiastic, like, hey, everyone's got to check out Ethereum. And um, <laughs> as I, I knew what Bitcoin was, yeah. um, I'd followed it, but I wasn't overly enthusiastic at the time about it. But um, after coming across Ethereum and starting to learn a little bit more, I'm, I'm innately a very, very curious guy, which probably uh, makes sense because of where I am today. But um, started to just go down the rabbit hole, started to learn about smart contracts and other, you know, layer one blockchains, et cetera. And I mean, literally like went down the rabbit hole. And from there, started just doing my own research and really starting to help friends and family kind of guide them in the right direction. Um, when they were looking to make crypto investments, I'd kind of be that that helpful resource for them. And even though I went on to pursue investment banking, um, actually at a college uh, years later, I was as the space started to grow and, and kind of mature, um, I kind of saw the opportunity and there was so much demand at the time for a resource, like an advisory kind of piece to the puzzle um, where we said, hey, we should really think about starting, you know, crypto focus uh, advisory firm, asset management firm. And, and that's kind of how everything has come to fruition today. Um, so hopefully that's a little bit helpful, helpful background. I'm happy to you know, dive into yeah. any more details relates to that as well. Yeah, no, that's good. Um Maybe maybe go a little bit into how you guys work with with advisors. Like uh, you guys offer a variety of different strategies. Like where do you guys fit into the market currently? And then I guess maybe where do you think the market is going? 
um, obviously it's been a very interesting year. So <laughs> absolutely interesting is an understatement. Um, so we, we, we can work with an advisor in really two ways. Um, we offer model portfolios that an advisor can, can adopt for one of their clients okay. um, or actually be rolling out a partnership. So there will be more detail on the platform that we're really going to be listing that through um, in the coming weeks. So we're excited about that. Um, and then subsequently, we can really think of us as being the advisor specifically for crypto for a financial advisor. And what I mean by that is we can customize a digital asset portfolio um, for an advisor and their client based on you know their their tolerance for risk, their investment time horizon, um, because we really do believe that not all crypto investments are for all investors. Um, so you sure. can really tailor them for them. Uh, and then subsequently, there's you know a real education aspect to this, which we feel like is a real missing piece, because um, at the end of the day, um, we, we recognize that this is brand new territory for an advisor. And honestly, we're very, very supportive of an advisor that's even taking that step and saying, hey, I really want to learn about the asset class because I recognize maybe I don't have the background in it and I can't speak towards it. Um, so we want to be that educational resource as well. Someone almost think of us as that outsourced CIO that's in that advisor's corner um, that can either help with the education for their clients, help their own office um, to help you know facilitate dialogue with their with their existing client subset. Um, and then also, if an advisor's, you know, vetting managers or products in the market, you know, we're happy to be that additional resource, because we understand, again, that it, this is just a brand new language. And that's probably one of the most difficult things for for traditional advisors is that just speaking that language, there's, you know, a barrier to entry to getting to that point when you can natively talk about it. Um, and so we really just want to be that resource, both um, from an education standpoint, and then also from an investment standpoint. Okay. So really just to and power RAs across the board. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, do you specifically, do you guys work only with RAs at the moment? I assume. No. We, so we, at, at the moment, we actually service individuals um, in a direct relationship. Yeah. Um, our goal is obviously to help RIAs. Um, and we also um, can help family offices and, yeah. you know, really an array of investor types. Um, I would just say that more, yeah, our focus is really the RIA space. Yeah, so you, I guess where I'm getting at is you guys don't have any relationship yet with any broker-dealer partners just yet. Yeah. It's tough right now, yeah. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but I wanted to go back to the model portfolios. So how does that actually work? So say I'm an advisor who wants to run your model portfolios. Are, are you just kind of giving them sort of the allocation every month or... Uh, are you running it through a technology platform and just pushing everything or how, how exactly does that work? Yeah. So I think for advisors, the one thing to know is that there are these turnkey asset management platforms that exist yeah. today. They're really trying to facilitate the adoption of crypto um, yeah. investments. Um, so you have solutions like Eaglebrook Advisors has a tech platform yeah. um, on, on Ramp Invest, Bitria. And so um, and one of the partners we'll be rolling it out with, how it really works is we you know, we run our strategy, we list our model portfolio on that, that TAMP, that turnkey asset, asset management platform. Yeah. And then an advisor can come in and really just adopt the strategy, um, allocate funds from their client into that strategy. And then we're the ones on the back end really just managing it. So we'll, and so for our perspective, we actively manage our strats. Um, we have a bit of an emphasis and, and a belief in the active uh, side of management. Um, and then we'll rebalance it monthly and we'll really be the drivers. Uh, but for the advisor, you know, it's all kind of behind the scenes. And from their client perspective, they're servicing their clients and they're getting them the exposure that they're really looking for. 
Okay. So basically you guys just kind of operate as a sleeve almost, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, they're happy to give you five to 10% or whatever it is. And then you guys run it and that's pretty much it. And that's it. Exactly. And then from there, you know, the intent and the hope is that the, the tech platform, the TAM, um, will then integrate with the portfolio management solution on the back end for the advisor so that oh. they can still have it integrated and see the positions for their clients. And I think that at least at the onset was one of the biggest barriers yeah. for a lot of advisors to enter the space as they said, Hey, this is great, but how do I see this within my you know portfolio management system? Yeah. And so I think we've, we've made strides. And now that fa- now that that's um, available uh, is, is really helpful for an advisor and honestly makes this all just more feasible. Okay. So, so if I, if I am some RA and I run on fidelity mostly, right. Do I need special software or anything to sort of see the crypto allocations for you guys or um, like, like how, how exactly does that show up? Yeah. The, the TAMP actually, I think it's on the, it's on the back end really through like API integrations. Yeah. Um, we'll connect with whatever management software you're using. So traditionally, whether that's like Orion or Black yeah. Diamond yeah. Um, and, and that will then connect to the actual client's account, which would obviously then have or show our allocation to our portfolio within it. And then there's a broader breakdown of the client's assets there. Um, okay. So it's it's fairly seamless. I think it's just yeah. more about all di- advisors have different management platforms that they use. And so it's oh, yeah. about integrating to all of them, making yeah. sure that it, it doesn't matter. It's a, it's a one size fits all for everybody in a sense. For sure. I mean, in the space of like six years, that's actually pretty incredible to go from like zero solutions to fully integrated, you know, trading, reporting, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yep. What, I mean, where, where are you, where are you guys right now? Like when 2023 is the topic, like mm-hmm. what are you hearing from advisors? What's sort of the layout of the landscape for you guys specifically? What, what do you think about for this year and the space going forward? Yeah. I mean, to be quite frank, you know, sediment is pretty low um, in regards to the space. There's just no way around it. Um, so for us, we really want to be in the position where we're building. It's like, you know, the old expression that like crypto winters are for builders. Yeah. Um, we we want to continue to expand our SMA offering, our, port- our model portfolios, um, really work with our existing partners to grow uh, the, that, that product offering. Um, and ultimately, when the demand then reemerges, we want to be in a position where we've got every all of our boxes checked. And at that point now, it's just about it really just deploying and, and, and offering our solutions. Um, so that's, I think, a real emphasis, at least for us at the onset of this year. Um, thankfully, we, we have we ran our strategies all the way through 2022. So they're starting to build some, some real track record for them. Um, but that's really, I think, what we're focused on right now. Um, just like back to your point around what we're hearing from the market, you know. RIAs um, and IARs, traditional advisors, are typically a product of whatever their clients are asking for. And when crypto was booming and there was that that FOMO, that fear of missing out sense, you know, clients left and right were asking questions about crypto. And yeah. now we're in a position where clients aren't asking about crypto or as much. And so in turn, advisors are then saying, okay, well, you know, I don't need this product right this second. Um, now, you know, the proactive reactive approach from our perspective would say, Hey, you know, it's inevitable. Um, at least we believe this market's inevitable. So we would suggest and support, you know, advisors getting up to speed, learning the language, getting integrated with these, these TAMP platforms and having model portfolios ready to go 
rather than taking that, you know, reactive approach and saying, hey, I'll wait for my clients to then re-engage with the, cl- the questions and the demand. Um, and when that time comes, I'll get onboarded. So we're really trying to just continue to move the space forward, trying to get that message across to advisors um, and really just empower them to really be proactive ahead of whenever that next cycle comes and, the, you know, the timing of this market turns around. Yeah, yeah. Sentiment, undoubtedly, for obvious reasons, has been tough. <laughs> yeah, it's not um, it's not great. And the, no. the worst part is too, at least around the sediment piece, is at least from my perspective, what happened happened. I mean, like there's there's no way around it, especially with, with FTX and now the, the the contagion that's kind of spilled over um with like Genesis and Gemini yeah. Earn. Yeah. But at the end of the day, the, these are centralized parties. These are centralized companies. They're companies that offer, you know, products and solutions related to crypto. But at the end of the day, it's not crypto itself. It's not blockchains themselves. And yeah. I think what's really, really impaired and impacted sediment so significantly is that there's this catch-all association that FTX failure is crypto's failure. Um, these major lenders' failure is crypto's failure. And the irony is it's it's just not. Um, and so it's it, we're obviously in a, in a difficult position where it's just about, you know, refining, I think, the perception of crypto and, and really empowering investors out there to understand the differences between them. So I, and I think that's really, really hurt sediment. Um, and then like to start the year, we had this, you know, run up in prices. And, you know, I think there's been a little bit, we'll call it a little bit of a relief rally. Um, but there's not much of an audience out there to even know that that's going on. So yeah, that's just, yeah, kind of my perspective on it uh, as we're talking about sediment a little bit. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I kind of feel the same way. Like ultimately a lot of these things were problems of centralization and you know, a couple of hands having access to things that they argue, well, they, we know that they shouldn't have, right? Um, I was going to say arguably, but no, we can definitively say that you shouldn't have had access to that. Um, and it, it is kind of an interesting conversation about just public education, but then it also gets into, I think, a lot is responsibility around how involved do you want to be in your money and your finances, mm-hmm. right? Because I think that's a, a a thing a lot of people miss is, you know, your keys, your wallet, cold storage is great if you care for that level of thing, but it's, it is way more inconvenient than just having a bank account at Wells Fargo, right? Or uh, an account at FTX or whatever, right? So um, exactly. it's that trade-off for, yeah. you know, self-custody protection of your assets and just convenience um and most people default to the convenience also it's not their fault like they don't understand necessarily how to use self-custody and really like manage an on-chain account Um, but i think to your point that's where we need to get and that's where i think we're obviously still in the first innings of the ball game um or the stages of infancy because we need to be we need to be at the point back to your did you say like having a wells fargo account or even fidelity like uh, that needs yeah. to be the ease for for the end user though, for global adoption, for institutional adoption, where for you're sure. using blockchain on the back end. You don't you don't even know that you're in between different networks. But um, yeah. and on the front end, you think everything's like you know your normal phone or your computer. Um, so that's where we need to get to, and I, I just don't think we're there yet. Yeah, no, <laughs> de- definitely not. But things are getting closer. Um, where where do you kind of? generally like where 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 can the industry make some big leaps 
to sort of address that education and ease of use and adoption sort of thing? Like, well, what needs to happen there to make crypto appealing? I know, I I know this might not be the answer you would hope for, but I, I truly believe we need regulation. We need clarity and guardrails from regulators. Um, first, you unfortunately have so many firms out there, the ones that are exploring that they don't know what's right, what's wrong, what they should be doing. So they're kind of guessing. Um, And I really think there needs to be some sort of guidelines uh, across the board for companies to say, okay, I know what I need to do to either adopt this infrastructure or the asset class. um, And I can safely follow this game plan that lets me adopt X, Y, and Z rather than just guessing. And I think until we really have that from uh, from Washington, we're going to be kind of in this gray limbo area for quite some time. Um, so and expand, un- expand on that. Like, what exactly do you mean about like a roadmap for adopting, in your example, infrastructure? Like, walk walk that through. So, I mean, at least if you're if you're a company and you want to hold crypto like on your balance sheet. Okay. What assets are you comfortable holding? If you don't know oh, okay. where you can play, where you can't play. Yeah. Um, if if you're an advisor and you really don't know the asset class too well, um, obviously we would love an advisor to turn to a kelp and say, hey, I need help. What should I do? But if I'm starting from scratch and I don't have anyone or my firm doesn't have some sort of game plan in place, and let's be honest, the game plan won't really come to fruition unless there's someone behind them that's giving them clarity yeah. Uh, where where does it start? Where does it end? And it's just going to kind of continue where we're at now with everyone kind of guessing. Um, so that's just, I think, from a high level, what I kind of mean on you need some sort of starting point for everyone to really move forward with adoption. Gotcha. And we just don't have that starting point yet. Do you, do you think, what is your take on, uh, like one of the regulatory things you hear all the time is the uh, definition of a security versus a commodity type thing? Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a horse in that race? Do you kind of care about that? Or, I mean, um, it's one. So for us, I think that really ends up impacting the exchanges, those who are trading these assets. Um, cause yeah. it's, we're, we're kind of just the end users and the investors. Um, I sway towards thinking that, and they've already kind of suggested that assets more representative of a currency, like a Bitcoin, like an ether, um, are more than likely going to fall more into that CFTC umbrella. Yeah. Um, but it's it's great because there are assets out there that have revenue generating components that would resemble that of a security. Yeah. Um, and again, it goes back to putting in some sort of guardrail in place. If I'm an investor or I'm you know an exchange or trying to create infrastructure, and I don't know what assets I'm even able to play with or able to work with, um, how am I going to move this space, space forward? Yeah. Yeah, no, it it makes sense. I mean, just having, I mean, if you want to issue a stock and go public in the United States, there's a certain amount of things you have to do to even do that. Whereas you could spin up some BS token and throw it out there. And through the magic of the internet, maybe it pops and you maybe it goes bigger, right? But there's no audit of accounting or use case or clients or, you know, any of that stuff, at least. You, you bring you bring up a great point, like the filing process. There is a process in place that you have to follow to then issue that security. And as it, like, at least on the crypto side of things, you don't have that. 
Um, and so is that potentially inhibiting a lot of potential innovation that we could have in the space? And that obviously just pertains to, you know, having a token or a coin. Um, but I think exactly to your point, like there needs to be some sort of repeatable process that can be installed for people across the across the Web3 space to adopt and follow to move kind of the space forward. Yeah, it's I mean, it's a big lift, too, because who's going to be the advocate, right, to create this legislation that makes sense? Like, certainly not SBF. <laughs> anymore. <laughs> not anymore. Uh, yeah, but I mean, so maybe how is like a, a founder, uh, you know, working in crypto DeFi, how do you think about like, your responsibility to contribute to, you know, the future like that? Like, how do you is it is it a thought for you day to day, or um, are are you think, super involved? Like, and I think what we did is just proactively as an advisor, we went and said, "Hey, let's." So we're we're a registered investment advisor, as if we were dealing with securities. So yeah. kind of taking a little bit more of that proactive approach. Yeah. Um, in terms of like working with you know the um, extent of a Washington, like we obviously would love to help, um, but from our perspective. Um, all we can really do is just do things the right way and, and try and be compliant in every way, shape or form where we can um, and really just create the model for someone else to then follow. Um, say, hey, we like to believe we've done everything correct thus far based on you know guidance and rules and regulations. Um, here's the playbook we've put together and maybe someone else can then go follow that. But it was really difficult for us at the at the onset uh, because you're starting from scratch. And again, you don't know what's right. You don't know what's wrong. You, you know, some of the infrastructure, uh, like for example, there's really no qualified custody infrastructure um, yeah. for DeFi today. And when we first launched the business, that was our goal was to bring um, on-chain separately managed accounts um, you know, and make them available for the average individual. But based on qualified custody rules, that just didn't work. Um, yeah. And so I think the best thing that you can do is, is really do your best to follow existing rules and regs, um, try and create the playbook, and hopefully that, you know, others can mirror that down the road. And then hopefully we get some guidance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So to kind of bring that back up, regulation or a clear set of rules is one thing that the industry needs to do. Are there any other kind of high level things that you think about that would be helpful? Um, I know it sounds crazy. We We needed players like FTX to get shaken out as well to move this thing forward. You need okay. all of the credible, uh, trustworthy institutions um, or players to continue to move the space forward. And we don't have room for that anymore. Yeah, um, did, it, it begs the question, did you kind of have suspicions, I guess, about some of these players like in the run up to all of this in 2022? I think it depends on which counterparty, which player. Um, yeah. The the companies that were offering yield that seemed excessive um and i'm not going to use yeah. any names but yeah. uh i think those kind of companies yes yeah. there was absolute suspicion because i was an active DeFi player and if i'm only able to get yield in x y and z and i like to believe that i have an understanding of all different different protocols that exist on chain okay well well then where are they getting their yields from where am i missing this yeah. um yeah. so i think that was those kind of firms absolutely that the, the firms like FTX, it was just as much a surprise to us as I think it was to retail. Um, it was one yeah. of those things like we couldn't really believe it was happening until it actually started happening. And then what made it all worse is, you know, for us, we, we mostly get a lot of our, you know, 
breaking news off of Twitter. That's crypto news lives on Twitter. Yeah. And yeah. so when you're reading straight from the source, you know, tweets and messages that actually aren't true because the source um, isn't being being faithful or accurate, it, it just made things all the more difficult on what to believe, what not to believe. Interesting. Um, so. Do you, what do you think about like crypto Twitter then? Um, particularly as you think about like rules and guidelines, right? So like an example or juxtaposition maybe is, you know, Elon saying, I've got the money to take Tesla private on Twitter, which is a huge no-no. And I think he's actually in court for that right now, um, <laughs> you know, years later. But uh, whereas like you were kind of alluding to, crypto Twitter is really the wild west and people say any and everything on there. Do you think, do you think there, I don't know if it's regulation or, but I don't know. Do you, are, are you seeing where I'm going here? Like, do you think that? I, I know what you're saying. I think some of the initiatives on like getting rid of bots and some of these automated messages is probably yeah. a s step in the right direction. At the end of the day, Twitter is freedom of speech to a degree. Yeah. Um, and so you can't really keep anyone from saying just about anything. But sure. honestly, that's where it falls then um, in the eyes of the viewer. It's our responsibility to not just see something and immediately, you know, spread the news as if it's true and accurate. Um, yeah, I think that's something that we really work on is, is really controlling our message, especially when that happened around FTX. Uh, there was so much speculation and you wanted to say, hey, I read I read this. I think this is happening. But little do you know that that might not be accurate. Yeah, um, yeah. And and the same thing's happening right now with the like DCG and Genesis News yeah, yeah. Um, and Gemini Earn. There's all of these different narratives circulating, and you as a you know as a fiduciary as an as an advisor, when you're spreading that news with your clients, you have to take a step back and say, hey, I might not be the first to report on this. I might not be the first to get it out there, but I want to be able to understand everything that's being relayed, gather the facts, and then speak on what you do know. Um, so again, I think that's another thing for crypto is just like it only adds more and more fuel to the fire is that it's kind of the wild, wild west on social media. Yeah. yeah. Um, Slow down for a second, <laughs> you know. We could, if we could. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what about, uh, let's maybe kind of transition a little bit, but like as far as kelp goes and sort of investment themes and what you guys are excited about, what what are you kind of looking at for the next year, two years? Yeah, right Right now I'd say we're, we're in a bit of a, defensive stance. And what I mean by that is we really wanted to position our portfolios with high quality exposure. Yeah. Um, we, you know, I would say assets that either have slightly less volatility than some of the exposure that we would have previously, um, or assets where we really believe there is inherent value behind the coin or token. Yeah. Um, and that and that can be from, you know, utility, like what that asset does within its respective ecosystem, or um, like fundamentals of, of the underlying asset. Um, so if that's a blockchain, uh, what do like the growth, the growth in transaction numbers in users and developers really look like, um, and really focus on the assets where there's traction and the numbers, um, you know, kind of ins instill some confidence from an investment standpoint and sway away from the very highly speculative growth assets um, that either are in their first early stages or adoption or um, don't really have the fundamentals behind them. So I think that's really what we're kind of focused on um, this year. And I mean, we don't know. We don't we don't know what the timeline looks like. So that could be an ongoing thing and we're, we kind of adjust. And that, that kind of speaks towards, I think, our active management is that we're monitoring the market and we're um, altering our portfolios in line with where the market is. 
in it's some, some prefer to take a bit of a passive approach. And I, I just don't think that's sometimes the best way forward, especially from a manager's perspective in crypto, because there's so many inefficiencies across the board. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Um, how do you like, how do you define quality? You kind of touched on it a little bit. Um, what is it like, can you simplify it down into like, we stay within this bracket, like say maybe it's market cap, like we only look at things of this size and this tenure, or are you willing to kind of, I guess, make um, security token based decisions on the whole thing? Like, um, yeah. So we have a we have an underwriting process where you know certain assets have to have certain um, liquid like underlying liquidity, certain volume. They have to be sure. at a certain size from market cap standpoint. Yeah. Um, from the quality standpoint, it's a bit of a mixture of qualitative and quantitative. So, like I said, on the on the quantitative side, um, say we're looking at a blockchain network, it's got to have you know a certain level of of total value, like mm. locked really value that lives in the blockchain. Um, it has to have you know certain certain growth figures, certain like activity numbers. Um, are people actually using this on a daily basis? So like a network like obviously Ethereum's a no brainer, but yeah. networks like like Polygon, like Avalanche, um, are people using these networks on a day to day basis? And is there growth in those um, in their transaction figures? A blockchain like Solana obviously was impacted um, so significantly because of FTX, but yep. that's 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 a network where you know we have kind of moved away from just in the interim because the underlying data was telling us a different story where this it wasn't keeping up necessarily with its peers but it was being valued as if it should be yeah. um, and so that's that's a direct example of us really sure, getting right. under the under the hood and saying does the do the fundamentals line up with its current market valuation um, and if it doesn't you know that's how we're going to alter and adjust allocations to specific assets the i think the other aspect too is the I think more the the qualitative side on thing we call it kind of like uh, an assets tokenomics or its utility how it actually is used within the ecosystem um, like do people have reason to either hold this asset buy this asset um, or honestly sell the asset and what I mean by that is some protocols will actually issue their token um, as kind of a form of compensation um, what we call rewards and if you're the holder of that token. And you're receiving those rewards. There's a good chance you're probably going to turn around and then sell that that token to basically realize your gains. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you don't want to be sitting on a token where it's solely being used to support um, rewards and it doesn't have any additional utility. Uh, I want yeah. that asset that's used in the governance process. It's used to capture revenue generated by the protocol or the blockchain, um, and has additional features that really emphasize why I should hold and invest in that underlying asset. And we want to sway away from those who, like I said, a bit more speculative. And we really see that more kind of like in the gaming space. Um, okay. Some of like these cult, some of these culture tokens where they're just highly speculative in nature and they run super high volatilities. Um, but through markets like through, through periods like this, um, the drawdowns can be so ex excessive that that's not necessarily protecting, you know, your client, your investor. Um so just kind of an example of some of the stuff that we're looking at. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. I got too into the, might've got too into the weeds there. No, so no, 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 it's good. Um, like I'm always curious too, just about like sort of themes relative to, cause the thing with crypto generally is it's the next mm -hmm. wave of technology for industry, quote unquote. So like, 
do you, how do you guys think about you know industry specific things does like are there certain sectors maybe healthcare for example or i mean financial services i guess obviously um yeah. do you ever Some do themes. kind of like sector thematic based analysis to maybe see what is out there to create an idea yeah not so much sector like our i think gaming is obviously um like a huge a huge focus yeah. uh metaverse like, yeah exactly yeah. um it's just about where some of these industries are so i think one thing that like we really like to think about as well is like kind of the goes back to like my investment banking taste, but like the the total addressable market of an of an asset. Do yeah. you want do you want an asset that just represents a specific sector or something that's ag- like sector agnostic, where um, it can support a specific industry? And I, I'm actually just going to use an, an asset um, as an example. There's an NFT blockchain, a scaling solution on Ethereum. So if you've got Ethereum as the base layer, um, this yeah. is a network that will you know drive transactions uh, basically off chain. Uh, it, it supports all different types of games um, as like an NFT marketplace. And so that's kind of an interesting proposition there where you're getting exposure potentially to the gaming you know, industry, but you're not betting on just one specific game um, or the token of that specific game. You kind of have exposure to all of them. Um, so I think that's something that we focus on and, and that can be applied to, I think one of the themes we're really focusing on is, is um, scaling solutions. So Ethereum, obviously, being the lead horse um, in application-focused blockchains and smart contract blockchains. And there's only so much block sp- space available on Ethereum in a given period. So, And we've seen the emergence of a couple other chains like Optimism and Arbitrum, obviously Polygon. So that being another theme is what infrastructure, you can really think of it, scaling solution networks can support all of that activity. Um, that's a very interesting theme that we've kind of been keeping an eye on um, that we could, and they've already emerged as kind of some of like the industry leaders. Um, but that's, I think, one thing that we, we've got to kind of a focus on 2023. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So as you were talking, I was kind of wondering just like, how do you guys conduct research? Like, where do you pull ideas from? Are you just following people on crypto Twitter too? Or are, do you have industry groups that, you know, you really like to follow our publications that maybe advisors can follow too, if they're curious, like, how, how do you yeah, think? We, yeah, we pull, we pull our research from like some of the regular providers. So um, Mazari like produces re- research. Um, we use a platform called Arcana for like dev activity, development activity on a network. Um, a lot of the, I, I, I genuinely like Twitter is your source for a lot of these resources. So it's as easy, it's, it's as easy and as hard as following all of the right protocols and accounts um, yeah. of blockchains and protocols. And then as news or updates um, or um, governance proposals are released, you know, us being, you know, having our, our ear to the door and um, following along on all those different developments. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's not as easy as like, you've got a Bloomberg terminal and you can, <laughs> you know, run, you've you really got to source everything kind of on your own. So what we do like with our underwriting and our investment committee uh, we have these templates that basically will touch on anything from liquidity and volume of an asset to how does the consensus mechanism work of the blockchain. Um, and so we try and gather all that information. And when you look at the sources, like it's it's all over the place. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah it kind of looks like an essay you might have like or a thesis you might have wrote back in college when you're citing. Uh, all your different sources. So all your, it, it all really your is sources. <laughs> yeah. So it really, really is all over the place. Um, yeah. But that kind of comes back to like 
you have to be a bit of a crypto native here to understand how to approach the space because it's a bit unorthodox. It's not like there's a formula to follow um, to put together the right research. Everyone's kind of doing it on their own um, or to put together the right underwriting. You've, you've got to kind of bring in your own original approach. Um, and that kind of speaks, I think, to some of the people on our team and, and really the value add I think we bring. Yeah. What about uh, like specific people you like to help kind of just distill things down? Are there podcasts or journalists or founders who you really like to follow just for? Um, oh, it comes back to like some, some Twitter stuff. Honestly, like if someone's just learning, um, I know it might not have the best name, but Binance Academy has like instructional videos yeah. Yeah. and um, like research articles um, that range from anywhere from beginner to expert. Sometimes yeah. like I'm still pulling some of the information from some of these articles. Sure. So if I was, you know, an advisor or someone that really wanted to get up to speed for the first time, um, I would probably like use Binance Academy to my biggest advantage. But the, the it comes back to speaking the crypto language, um, being able like natively to decipher some of this stuff. Just because sure. you have it in front of you doesn't mean you understand what exactly you're reading. Um, sure. That was yeah. one of the yeah the biggest biggest barriers for me when I first got into the space years ago was just like you can read and read, but if you don't understand the underlying you know infrastructure fundamentals in the back end or some of these words, it's like well what am I what am I reading? Yeah, um, yeah. Do you, do you feel like you need a so you're from a finance banking background? Do you feel like you uh, do you feel like a coding? sort of technical background would have helped you a lot better or um, it, it kind of ironically a lot of the smart contracts um resembles like excel to a degree where okay. it's all kind of just like conditional if then functions yes yeah. I, 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 that's absolutely one of the pieces that i personally don't have is is the dev background yeah. um that i would love love to like and and by what i mean by an example of that is like going to look at a protocol opening up the code on the back end being able to read exactly what's going on, whereas I have to trust a third party to yeah. provide a security score or an audit um, and be able to then like translate that for me. So yeah, I would love that. Um, I, I do think though on the finance side where that's had a lot of value, I came from the investment banking world was just our everyday life was thinking about valuations. And so yeah. taking kind of that valuation framework and rewriting it for crypto, because obviously the metrics are all different. Um, yeah. But applying kind of that same framework uh, gave us really like a fundamentals, um, like based framework and process to work from. Um, and like when you're an investment banking analyst, like you're maintaining the comps and like um, the public comps analysis workbooks and stuff. And so it's the same kind of concept moving that over into crypto. But now all of your sectors and your industries changes, you know, you're not dealing with companies, you're dealing with coins and tokens um, and you've got all the yeah. different metrics. So, um, yeah, it's uh that's kind of one of the more interesting things I think about crypto being from kind of a financial background too, is you've got people who are very interested in the space and very good at the space, but they've come at it from kind of two different ways. Like you do have the TradFi guys coming in who bring the valuation backgrounds, you know, fundamentals. They, they really know what they're looking for in terms of like process and data and things. And then you've got, people who just found it on their own and got into it and maybe came from a dev background or maybe something totally separate, an artist for NFTs or whatever, and then got into it. Like, what do you think about like the culture, I guess, of crypto and where people come from and does it, does it matter? I guess. Yes. I think it very much matters. It all comes back to perception, unfortunately. Um, yeah. 
I think if you had a lot of traditional finance individuals moving the space forward, you would have, I mean, first and foremost, like these are, these are individuals who have had to adhere to certain like security practices and um, have to get exams and, and licenses, et cetera. Yeah. So I think it would have credentialized and institutionalized the broader space if that was the people moving it forward where but that's not really what crypto is. It's truly like that global democracy to a sense. So you had kind of like a melting pot of all of these different types of people from different walks of life who had the initial exposure to crypto and were moving the space forward. That could be anywhere from an individual that just got lucky because they own Bitcoin um, to someone with a finance background to someone with a dev background. Um, and so it kind of created, I don't know, like in like um asymmetry and disalignment just like on the broader perception of the space because it didn't really yeah. have an identity yeah. um so i think people if if you had more traditional bankers more traditional people in finance moving the space forward um i think we would have probably advanced a bit faster than we have um but you work with what you got um you try and be the best voice and proponent of the space and kind of play your part and that's that's all you can do really yeah interesting interesting yeah i've got a buddy who's a former investment banker and he, I, I guess he also runs his own crypto fund now too. Um, but yeah, he stressed, at least to me super early, just like, how can you actually try to value something like this? Right. And what are those rules? What matters? What works? Um, Cause a lot of people, at least if you follow crypto Twitter, it's just like growth pops to the moonshot type stuff that it's bogus yeah which if you're a great marketer maybe right like yeah. you just have to get out at the right time and not get in trouble for it but um yeah yeah it's it's an art it's an art and a science um like you can there are, are assets i'll just take um, like ethereum for example ether um that per you know certain amount of fees get generated by the blockchain no different than yeah. a company generates revenue so yeah like kind of consider it top line. Yeah. You can, you know, project those transaction fees out five years, discount them back, run a DCF kind of model yeah. on the on the underlying earnings. Uh the you know the difficulty comes back to though it's not in US dollars. There's a currency kind yeah. of there's a currency yeah. risk. <laughs> there's there's a currency component to this. Yeah. Um so that's that's where unfortunately and and also it's not just like hey this is the globally accepted way to value this asset. Thus, the market will move, you know, say interest rates go up or down, all of a sudden the stock moves based on the DCF. Like it's just not the way it works with crypto. Um, but you can also take a comps kind of uh, perspective. And that's something that we definitely do, um, like a like a public comparables analysis where, hey, one asset trades at, at X, this is its market capitalization. Um, you can take a similar peer within a similar, within its like same industry classification, um, look at all the underlying fundamentals, like I said earlier, like whether that's transact, whether that's growth numbers or actual actual financial data associated with the asset. Um, and then you can create your pricing ratios. You can comp it out and say, hey, is this overvalued or undervalued relative to its peer? Um, and so again, it's not necessarily a base a baseline that you can just say, hey, yes, it is undervalued, yes, it is overvalued, but at least it starts to put you in the right direction on when you're making sound investments and maybe when you're buying too much into the hype or you're making kind of a speculative investment. So 
again, it just it comes back to you want to put yourself in the right position to make an investment. And and that's I think one of the most important things to do, at least as an advisor and as a manager. Yeah. Yeah. So we've kind of talked a lot about the uh sort of individual traits of evaluating an investment. What about like the global macro side of things for you guys? Like what is, you know, interest rates rising so quickly last year have to do with anything? Do you think much about the macro side or? Yeah, absolutely. We, we, we discuss macro. Uh, honestly, um, I'd say it comes up more often than I would have ever anticipated. Yeah. Um, maybe it's just like the fun conversation to have to as a team. <laughs> those, those are the calls that like they start and it's like, Hey, let's do a 20 minute overview. And then they go two or three hours and we're still on the phone going back and forth with each other. Yeah. Um, I very much um, like what's happening with interest rates and the Fed has had a significant impact on um, markets across the board, especially risk assets. Yeah. Um, in in theory, it shouldn't interest rates shouldn't affect crypto from like a cost of debt perspective. Um, For sure. where interest interest rates are higher, all of a sudden my debt's more expensive, and thus you know the my bottom line is less. So it shouldn't have an effect from that perspective. Um, but at the end of the day, crypto trades like a risk asset. Mm-hmm. Um, and back to what we were saying earlier, um, these these are currencies, and at least in the eyes of Bitcoin, it trades really against the strength and weakness of the U.S. dollar. Um, so it has had serious impact. Um, I would say I think the market has priced in a lot of the spikes that the Fed has obviously um, already rolled out and and may uh, continue to increase. And so I think the market has priced in quite a lot of risk. Um, and I would actually, just kind of my thoughts, my 2023 outlook on the year, um, I do think risk assets and crypto more broadly has a f- favorable 2023 and kind of a turnaround where I just don't think sentiment actually changes though. So I think price is actually, I think we actually get positive performance um, and sentiment might not follow. Um, Interesting. So kind of, it'll, it'll be that wall of worry bull market that everyone hates type thing. And that's that's just my perspective. That's what I think is going to happen and transpire throughout yeah. the year. Just because there's there's also so much so much uncertainty, especially within the crypto space. Um, you know, you go back to FTX and the contagion. Like we still don't have an answer for some things. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. there's that there's there's that I concept of uncertainty. But then conversely, you know, is this already priced in to end the year? Is that the um, the sell off that we all experienced uh, to end 2022? Um, but back to your question, yes, I think macro does have significant impact. Um, and that's why we kind of something that we're, we're constantly keeping an eye on and, and and honestly altering and adjusting portfolios based on macro just as much as, as crypto um, developments. Interesting. So like, as an example, like when we were just going through all those rate rises last year, how are you guys kind of positioning yourselves to either mitigate or take advantage of, you know, whatever was going on there? Yeah, that that comes back to how we were starting to position the portfolios defensively, um, yeah. a bit, like from a conservative standpoint. So we were just moving it, at, when the Fed started signaling rate, the extent of the rate hikes. Um, obviously, we had a, a huge risk off in, in environment. Yeah. Um, and so that risk off environment directly translated into the crypto space. And for us, we were saying, OK, we're moving out of, like I said, assets or reducing exposure to assets with higher volatility, higher drawdowns, um, and want to position the portfolios that we think is what we call high quality exposure. So if that's the likes of um, Bitcoin, you know, Ether, um, AVAX, Matic, some of the assets that we think are kind of industry leaders, um, that's what we've really put an emphasis on in our portfolios. Um, 
since this has started transpiring and it kind of goes back to really the beginning of last summer. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. I mean, with the inflation side of things and I guess the U S dollar libertarian argument around all of that, like where, where, where do you guys kind of fall with maybe just Bitcoin and the U S dollar? Like how much of that argument do you guys find value in? Like, are you Bitcoin maximalists? Like, God is trash type thing, or like, where where do you fall on that spectrum? I'm I don't want to speak for the team, but I can definitely yeah. say we we do not fall in this Bitcoin maxi uh, umbrella. I'm sorry, yeah, yeah. I call Bitcoin maxis if you are listening. <laughs> um, not to say I don't think there's um, value and purpose for Bitcoin. From my perspective, I think. Bitcoin is not going to replace the U.S. dollar or or crypto more broadly. It's not going to replace the U.S. dollar. So it shouldn't there shouldn't be this kind of competition or one's going to win, one's not. I don't think you're then going to be at the grocery store um, and you're going to start paying in BTC rather than USD. I just I don't think that's going to happen. I, I really think these are currencies that are going to fuel a new um, digital ecosystem environment that we play in uh, and that really being the Internet. And you're going to need these currencies to interact with all of the applications that you're now working with um, or for different payments or to facilitate transactions, whatever it might be in this new in- ecosystem. Um, and so I, I really think there's a place for, you know, a USDC, um, like a digital representation of a dollar within blockchain, within this digital ecosystem. Uh, but I don't think it's going to go away or disappear. Uh, and again, just just my perspective. That's just my take. Um, but hopefully, that's kind of helpful clarity without going too much into detail. Yeah, no, it's it's the. I mean, it's the fun conversation, right? Like, uh, yeah. like it. it I kind of come at it from. I mean, the chart that always comes back to mind for me is just like M two money supply and purchasing power over time, and like yeah inflation sucks and you can see it in the chart like that's why eggs are eight dollars for 12 yep. you know so yeah. i I, w- I personally wonder if these things may probably just bitcoin specifically pose enough of a threat to instill maybe a little financial uh responsibility in the yeah, like secure, cur- secure currency creation just out of nowhere like it doesn't seem like yeah. an idea <laughs> um so I'm just curious, like where where we ultimately go. No, no one knows, right? Yeah. Um, but it, it to me seems like at least Bitcoin for now represents uh, a potential way to at least mitigate loss of purchasing power. That's a great way to put it. the The issue with that is it just depends on how BTC is is received by the market. Is it a risk asset? Or is it a currency inflation hedge? Um, right. Because how it's perceived is going to dictate how it performs in those changes in inflationary environments. Um, so back to your your point, like when we were first starting to experience inflation, and it was highly speculative from some of the conversations I was having with actually friends. It's like, what do you talk about on Saturday night? It's like, infl- yeah. it's like, yeah, uh, is, is crypto stimulus going to cause serious inflation? And, and, and yeah. You know, coming to fruition. But um, my argument at the time was, hey, well, crypto is a potential hedge. You know, Bitcoin has a fixed supply and the increases it's is on a is on a fixed schedule. So 
you could use this asset to counteract, you know, inflation that we might experience, decrease in purchasing power with the U.S. dollar. This really is a viable alternative. What ended up happening was Bitcoin was perceived as a risk asset, a tech asset, and it traded in line with tech stocks. So that whole argument, even though fundamentally, you know, Ben Boomer might have the right approach, how does the market perceive that asset is really going to dictate how it performs. Um, And unfortunately, the fundamentals of BTC um, were not the, I don't know, the savior that we were hoping for, at least in 2022. I'll leave it at that. (laughs) Yeah. You you mean people didn't act rationally? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. (laughs) Diplomatically and politely. (laughs) Yeah. Um, One of the greatest flaws of modern portfolio theory. (laughs) Uh, But let's see, we got like five minutes left. Um, Anything you want to finish with? Like just about kelp or markets or whatever? Um. I don't know. I'm trying to think of, uh, I think probably just like solutions in the market. If I'm, if I'm an advisor, like what, what hopefully can I take out of like this call? If I could be of of help to anybody, um, just know that like, you're not alone. You don't have to be alone in navigating the space. Um, there are resources like ourselves out there that can help you have these conversations with your, your clients that can, if your clients, if you ask your client and say, hey, do you own crypto? Which realistically, there's a 50-50 chance they do. Um, and I'm an advisor and I'm not comfortable having that conversation. So I'm just going to say, hey, you go continue to hold it at Coinbase um, yeah. or do whatever with it. Uh, just know that there are resources and there are solutions and there are strategies out there that are trying to help you not be in that situation. And that's A, having the conversation with your client, but B, giving them solutions that they can utilize and solutions that you recommend as their fiduciary. Um, and, and 2023 to start the year, you know, a couple of years ago, I'd say, Ben, we really didn't have that. You had, you know, you had the ability to go buy GBTC, which is a flawed product. Um, but you didn't have crypto native advisors running strategies that were easily, um, can be easily integrated to your portfolio management system that that happened. That's happening now, you know, it just got built. So yeah. just if I'm an advisor out there and I'm listening, no, there are resources out there. Um, there are solutions and, you know, firms like Kelp and there are other you know firms out there as well. They're trying to do the same thing are trying to get you to a point where you can have that conversation and you can actually make, um, you know, value add recommendations to your clients um, so that they're not in that situation where they feel alone and they're like the only person's managing their own crypto. Um, yeah. So I think I'd kind of leave it with that as like a broader message. Cool. Um, but, uh, no, if you have any additional questions, but this, I, this is one of those things, man, where I like look down the clock and you're like, we've got five minutes left. And I thought we just started. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's been fun. Like, uh, obviously appreciate you coming on, um, maybe get, uh, you and Paul and maybe the rest of the team on at some point too. Uh, it'd be kind of. Yeah. Everyone's perspective. And, yeah. Like, uh, a lot of minds are better than one, obviously. And people are, if nothing else, opinionated about this space. Okay. So there's always someone who wants to say something. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think this is a good place to leave it. Um, you know, people can find you at Kelp online, all that stuff, I assume, right? Yep. You ever want to reach out and just, I, I guess I'll, I'll leave it as well. Like, I'm very happy to always talk about crypto. So if anyone has questions, just literally wants to talk about the space, like that's that aspect. You need, we need more resources just for people to have the conversation um, where it's not you know, it's not intimidating to talk about or, Hey, I don't know that much. So I can't talk about it. Um, so yeah, I'm here 
um, for any questions. If anyone ever needs me, um, I'm, I am online. You should be able to get a hold of me. All right, cool. Cool. Well, we will leave it there. Um, see you, everyone. And we'll see you next time.